if you're not getting the answers that you need from your administration, that's when you sit down with your crew and you say, okay, guys, we're not getting what we need from the administration. We're going to do this on our own. So after every fire, we're going to use Todd Edwards' plan. And before you know it, you're doing it. And then pretty soon the next company starts seeing what you're doing. So now they're doing it. And before long, it's just everybody's doing it. Firehouse Vigilance presents The Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Here we go. Corley Moore, Firehouse Vigilance. This is Weekly Scrap number 84. My guest tonight is David Mellon, 23-year student of the fire service, a paramedic for the last 16 years in the KC metro area, as well as the owner of Valor Fire Training, captain with the Reno Township Fire Department in Kansas, He's a lab instructor, sits on review committees, uh, returning instructor to FDIC. David Mellon, uh, you're a podcast host, YouTube uh, uh, hot pepper aficionado. <laughs> um, it's my pleasure to have you on today as the guest of Weekly Scrap number 84. Welcome, brother. Well, thank you, man. This is, uh, you know, we were talking off camera. This is actually one of the things that's on my bucket list. So I'm, uh, I'm happy to be here. I'm honored, and uh, it's going to be a good discussion. I'm extremely, I've, I've, that's a first for me to be on a bucket list. So for the scrap to be on a bucket list. So that's awesome, man. Uh, to everyone watching live, if you have questions, uh, comments, uh, anything you want for, from Dave or myself, do not hesitate to throw them in the uh, comments. Did I miss anything in the intro? Anything you want to add? No, that pretty much covered it. Perfect. All right. Then I'm going to jump right off into it. And uh, one of the big things I'm excited to talk to you about, Fire for Effect, the art of realistic fire training and how important it is to you. Yeah. All yours. So, uh, you know, coming up through the fire service, uh, when I got in, uh, you know, our, our training through the community college that I went to was a concrete building. We burned things that I won't even speak of right now because it completely violated <laughs> NFPA 1403. Uh, I can't tell you how many times there was a, a mattress or some cushions or, you know, a traffic cone or something that got thrown in the mix. But, uh, you know, we, we did. We, we fought real fires. Uh, and our instructors instilled in us the, the realism that we needed. You know, we had instructors who would put mannequins up against doors so that when we were trying to get through doors to go make a push down the hallway, we couldn't get the door open. Right. And that was totally common for us. And so when I got out of the fire service training side and, and I started my career, uh, you know, I would go to these other trainings or I would, you know, start doing stuff with other departments and it was, you know, hold, hold, hold each other's ankles while you're searching. Yes. Or, you know, uh, uh don't worry about that window. That window is not real. You know, you can't go out that window because that doesn't exist in real life. Well, if it's there, then let me use it. Right. Uh, and so it was really interesting. Uh, we kind of took this nosedive shortly after I came into the fire service where, uh, you know, training became more skills based, but they were taking away the realism. And so what we were left with was people that had this skill set, but they didn't have the ability to apply it to real life. And so one of the scenarios uh, that or one of the situations rather that happened to me. Uh, I was a lieutenant and I had a, a firefighter who went into a fire. He'd just come out of the academy and, uh, you know, he was a good dude. You know, he was a solid firefighter. He, he had ambition. He was young. He was inexperienced, but, uh, we went into a fire and it was, I would say it was warm, you know, it wasn't hot. Um, uh, but when we came out, I mean, it was deer in the headlights. He's like, man, I can't do this. And I go, what are you talking about? And he's like, man, I can't, I can't do this. He goes, it was dark. It was hot. I couldn't see a foot in front of my face. I turned my flashlight on and it made it worse. 
And he goes, I, I can't, I, this isn't what I expected. And I thought, where the hell have you been for the last year? You know, you went through the fire Academy. You should know this. Right. Uh, and then what I found out later was that, you know, the only thing that he had been exposed to was, you know, fake gas fires with theatrical smoke. I think they had only done one or two live burns and that was it. They'd never been saturated whatsoever. Never been saturated, never had stress inoculation, never had, you know, any of that. And, right. and, and, and actually what I found out, uh, which was even more worrisome is that he had never actually run a full fire scenario. It was always just, just individual drills, skills, just drills and skills. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, you know, coming to us, you know, we, we did some of that stuff, but it wasn't enough to get him ready. And so that was kind of the beginning of where the fire for effect class came from was not necessarily how to buck the system, but how to differentiate between the things that everybody's afraid of, like 1403. Right. And the things that everybody's afraid of, like not following a book that's published by a major main, you know, major, major, uh, major publisher. Sure. You can do things outside of those. You can do outside the box stuff. And, and what it's going to do is bring back realism and it's going to bring back our ability to apply those things in the real world. And it's going to make us better firefighters. And so that's what that whole class revolves around. That's awesome. And, and I want to ask, cause you really sparked my imagination or, or uh, whatever you sparked something there where you, uh, how, how uh, deep seated is that, you know, uh, every rookie class across this country getting hitting with drills and skills and not actually getting a fire scenario throughout the rookie Academy. Yeah. I mean, how prevalent is that throughout the American fire service right now? I, I, I think it, and, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, and I'm not going to apologize for it. it. It's an epidemic. I mean, I, I truly believe that it's an epidemic in the fire service that we are taking away the realism uh, in order to kind of preach safety. But what we're doing is creating more unsafe firefighters because they can't apply it in the real world. Wow. No, hundred percent. I love it. Okay. We're getting comments already. So we've got Justin Lorenzen, the training officer saying, finally, dot, dot, dot. I don't know if he's just saying, finally, we went live or finally I had you on as a guest, <laughs> but definitely one of the two. Uh, Kevin McCart said that stash though, two exclamation points. Yeah. And then um, Matt Sleet said he shaved his mustache off because he can't hold a candle to Dave's. Man, ah, oh, you should have kept it, dude. I uh, <laughs> don't shave it off. I had to trim mine. I, I finally got to the point where I was eating it for dinner, and so I just uh, trimmed it up a little bit. But understand the flavor saver was getting too real. It was, man. <laughs> it was getting a little over overwhelming. John Shostet the third. You're gonna have to give me a phonetic pronunciation of that last name. Uh, he asked, "Would you consider?" him when i'm guessing the rookie we were talking about would you consider him to be a naive about the fire service or a training issue that let him down i would still have hope that we could work with him and teach him what to expect yeah so to that point uh you know the the and i've talked about this in a lot of the lectures that i've done uh in that moment i sat there on the bumper and i thought to myself holy shit we did this like it was our fault this is this is our fault and when i say our fault it's it's not me it's not my department it was the fire service. Right. Like it was, yeah, it was the broader, you know, holistic picture. Um, but we did this to him. And so, yeah, I very quickly pulled him to the side and I'm like, Hey man, this is not your fault. Like you weren't exposed to it. You didn't know any better. Um, and we took for granted that you were going off and getting this education and we, you know, cause a lot of us had all come up at the same time. And so we didn't realize, I guess what was going on. Right. Um, and so now that I actually teach, 
um, for a, uh, you know, educational institution, I get to see the back end of that and I actually get to see what's going on. Uh, but yeah, we, we did work with him and he is still in the fire service. He's a good dude. Like I said, I mean, he is, he is a solid firefighter. Um, but that night was just a huge eye opening for me. And I, and I know it was for him too, but it was like, man, I just felt horrible. Like we did that. And so, Man, you, get, you sparked so many questions in my head, so I'm trying to get my thoughts right. Uh, when we're talking about uh, you, you teach for an organizational, institutional-type setting, how much is it uh, meeting those check boxes that they demand versus uh, keeping it, you know, what Dave would, David would want to do if he wrote the curriculum? You know, how much – you know, you understand where I'm getting at, but Oof. go for it. Try to – Oof. Uh, and and you got to dance whatever you can, and you can avoid questions yeah. that you need to avoid to keep your job, et cetera. No, I mean, I you know, I've been pretty open about it. Uh, you know, a lot of it is following the curriculum because educational institutions have to have you know a curriculum that they follow, and so uh, there is some ability to kind of put your own twist on it. Um, but no, you know, I'm not out there teaching, you know, the crooked lean, I'm not out there teaching, uh, you know, throwing single person 34, you know, 35. Right. Uh, and so I, I think a lot of it is we want them to get the fundamental knowledge. Um, but all the instructors that I work with for the educational institution, uh, we're all firefighters in the Metro. We're all firefighters from around the area. And we always put the caveat on it, you know, Hey, whatever you learn here is great. But you need to go out and learn at conferences. You need to go to classes. You need to learn nice. from your own department. Um, because we don't want people leaving that class with the thought process that this fake theatrical fire is what they're going to actually see when they get out in the real world. Because it's not. No, 100%. Uh, John Shurstead actually gave me the pronunciation. He said he can still not pronounce it. But he gave me Shurstead. So there it is. I would have Fair never enough. gotten to Shurstead in a million years from that spelling. So, uh, just so you know, Christopher Morrow said, what up, Brosif, the man, the mustache, it's hot sauce, Dave. It is hot sauce, I Dave. I put that as the, uh, Ooh, that's a good one. Trouble keeping his clothes on hot sauce, Dave. Oh, we're going to get to that. We'll get to, we'll get to that. Uh, Tony Nunez said, unfortunately, I've seen several people make it through standards, but when faced with real world incidents, it's too much to handle. What do you think can be done to help change that? Yeah. So, uh, I'm a huge, huge, huge believer in, uh, stress inoculation and, uh, a lot of this stuff, almost everything that we're going to talk about. I mean, this isn't stuff that I've come up with this. I mean, you know, I came up with classes and I've come up with programs, but it's all based on, you know, other instructors that I've learned from other people that I've taught with. Uh, so I don't ever claim to know everything. And, right. and that, I think that makes, you know, that you, as an instructor, you can't. Um, but one of the big things that I talk about is the OODA loop. And for those of you that have not looked at the Valor Fire training page, uh, there's a huge write-up on the OODA loop, which is observe, orient, decide, and act. And, you know, I think a lot of that can be incorporated into early training for firefighters. I think they need to understand that when they make, the, you know, they make it through the checkboxes, they make it through the standardized testing, they've never had a half-burned person come running up to them with skin sloughing off, screaming that their two-year-old kid is trapped on the second floor. That's just not right. in the training, right? No, 100%. So, you know, it's not fair to them and it's not fair to, and when I say them, it's not fair to the citizens and it's not fair to us to expect somebody to just know how to react when that happens. Uh, and so I correlate a lot of it back to, you know, military and law enforcement that, you know, a police officer, before they go out in the field, they've been shot with airsoft. They've been shot with, you know, simunations, simunitions. Yeah. 
you know, th- it's not the first time that they've ever had a projectile coming at them. Now, it's not a, you know, deadly projectile unless something really bad happens. But it's not the first time that they've said, ow, during a training. Right, right. right. So for us, we have safeguarded ourselves both mentally and physically to the point where, <clears throat> you know, they've never had those stress inoculation situations. They've never had to be in the situation where they locked up or vapor locked or, you know, I've even had, I mean, I hate to admit it, but I mean, I've had students that have pissed themselves, you know, we've had them so stressed out and they are so overworked that they just get to that point where they just let it loose. Right. No, absolutely. So yeah. So no, I want I want to ask if there was, a, uh, again, man, I love talking to you cause you sit my brain down. We're on question one and I'm going all over the place. <laughs> um, have you, have you, has that, amount of stress have you washed out people from your training or what's your uh, washout rate like or your attrition rate so uh, the overall goal is never to wash anybody out right right so uh we're always going to you know have people take a break you know sit down with them talk one-on-one um you know one of my favorite stories pertaining to that we had a, a firefighter up in nebraska who came to one of our classes her name is taylor uh i'm sure she's probably listening right now but uh she came to one of our classes and she was mortified. I mean, she was just absolutely beside herself because she had not been in an actual fire. And so, you know, here this live fire is chugging thick black smoke down a hallway with, you know, streamers and rollover and all this stuff. And so she just kind of vapor locked and she was like, I don't know if I can do this. And so we stopped the scenario. I mean, we let the other crew continue. We stopped, we pulled her out and we sat and talked with her and made her understand that we're not going to leave her alone. We're not going to let her, you know, get hurt. Uh, and she went back in there and man, I gotta be honest. She kicked ass. I mean, nice. Nice. I have, I have video of her like hooting and hollering coming down this hallway, flowing water. Right on. Um, That's the story I like to hear. So, yeah. And so can I say that nobody has ever just got up and left? No. I mean, there are people that have just sat there and been like, nah, I'm not all about this. Right. Right. Um, but most of the time, those are the people that either a don't see the benefit in it and they perceive that we're just, you know, effing with them. Right. You know, why'd you throw that baby at me or why did you come out with no clothes on and, or, you know, underwear only on and, and start grabbing my air pack and screaming at me. They don't understand that those are things that happen in real life. They think that we're just being, you know, assholes. A-holes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, a hundred percent. No, I get it. No. And that, and the fact that that stuff goes on is, is amazing. Um, Catching you up some more here. Uh, Craig Coburn said, how do you, we convince our admins slash safety culture to buck the big box tech books and to a large extent, 1403. I'll let you. So, so the easy answer is you don't, uh, the easy answer is you have to find a way to incorporate those. And, you know, as much as I'm a counterculturist, as much as I like to sit there and be like, Oh, NFPA 1403, uh, you know, that, that, it has to be there because people have died, right? You know, people have gotten hurt and killed because somebody did some stupid shit. And so NFPA 1403 is there for a reason. And I understand that, but I think to answer his question, you don't, you take those books and you use those as a framework and you say, okay, listen, they want us to fold a tarp this way. Well, we use the crappy Walmart 999 tarps and I can't fold it like they do in the book because it's not canvas, you know? So we're going to find our own way to do it. Um, you know, as far as the, the 1403, uh, there's been a huge discussion. I know Jay Bonifield and I talked about it, uh, you know, using OSB, 
OSB right. puts off a lot of thick, chunky black smoke with a lot of, uh, you know, particles, but you get very little heat release rate. And so you get kind of the best of both worlds. You're not melting helmets. You get horrible visibility uh, and you get some pretty realistic fire conditions. So it, there are those people who believe that you can't use OSB. And there are those of us who have made it our life's mission to prove that you can. Uh, and the cancer debate is a whole nother story. But you can use it safely. And we use it safely all the time. Right. And I feel like we put out better students because of it. No, it's nice. And I want to. I want to. I want to cut back. Well, I got a lot of stuff to throw at you here. Love the answer on it. Uh, Devin Craig uh, said we need to get as. And this is the, is the rat on acid. We need to get as close as possible with the training. He also says, "How do you incorporate 1403?" Question mark. He says, "You don't." So, um, yeah. David Pruitt comes chimes in. He says, "You cannot buck the system. You have to put in the work every day, all day. Burning is the culmination of all your training." Yes. Yes. And, and, you know, a lot of people think that, uh, you know, burning, doing live burns is just, you know, oh, it's super easy, man. You know, we're in a concrete box. We're in a, you know, a Connex box. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's super easy. Nobody's going to get hurt. There's a lot of really bad stuff that can happen. Uh, and I've been to fire, I've been to live fire trainings where they had four people and there's no safety line and there's no plan and nobody's walked through the building. I mean, those are all things that are against NFPA 1403. Um, and, you know, Dave is, is, is a guru when it comes to acquired structures and right. stuff like that. And so him and I have had hour long, you know, hours <laughs> and hours of conversations. Uh, but I think it's so important to use those to your advantage because ultimately if something goes bad, you're going to have to fall back on those. And it doesn't mean that you can't follow the rules, but I'll put it to you like this. I'm a paramedic. I love being a paramedic. I know my protocols, but I also know the loopholes in my protocols. Right. So when I'm taking care of a patient, I'm going to do everything in my power to take care of that patient the best way that I can. And if I have to use a loophole and justify it later, I'm okay with that. But at the end of the day, I know what my protocol says. Right. You know what I mean? Right. No, absolutely. Um, And I want to go back to that OODA loop because like you do that as a philosophy, like it's it's behind uh, behind live fire. It's behind throwing. I mean, it's it's not just it's it's the the foundation kind of philosophy of everything that observe or orient, observe, observe, orient, <laughs> decide and act. I'll get it right at one of these points. But, um, that's that, that to me is amazing is to put that behind, uh, you know, when, when should you throw a ladder? When should you force this door? You know, when are you going to make that decision and when are you going to act? Uh, not just about live fire. It's about, it's, it's a philosophy behind it all. And I love that. Yeah. Well, and, and so much of it is to, to your point, uh, you know, I can teach somebody to force a door and I can make them a badass door slayer. You know, they can go in there and, and <clears throat> pop any door that they want, but you start throwing somebody hanging half out of a window with fire rolling over their head and they're going to forget how to force that door. And so it, it's so important, not just to teach the skill, but to teach the proper application and then reinforce that you're going to get distracted. You're going to have outside factors that are going to make you, you know, Something as simple as getting your air pack stuck in the seat. So you take your helmet off and put it in the dash. I've done it. And then you go in to make a grab and you realize, you know, 15 minutes later that you didn't have a helmet on. Right. It was the OODA loop, right? I'd never had that happen before. I'd never had a pack get stuck like that. I could not get out of the seat. And so the first thing I did was put my helmet on the dash. I turned around, had my butt up in the window. I'm pulling my air pack out. Finally got it. Went and made a rescue, successful rescue. 
And the whole time I'm like, fuck, it's really hot in here. Like my ears are burning. My head's burning. I'm like, man, this is the hottest I've ever been. Right. Well, it's because I didn't have a helmet on. Never been in that situation before. No. Brother, that's, yeah. No. And uh, uh, Justin Lorenzen chiming in, the training officer, he said, Melon, talk about what departments can do to create realistic training when they may not have the facilities to do live burning, i.e. strobe lights, smoke scent, etc. Yeah. So uh, that's that's a great point, uh, and that's one of those things that I love talking about. So uh, a lot of the manufacturers of uh, smoke machines, and, and we use Froggy's Fog. That's just the brand that we've chosen. Um, so if you go to their website and you look, you can actually type in um, uh, theatrical smoke scent. And, I mean, they have everything from vomit to rotting corpse to, I, I mean, they got nice. like flavors that you would never want. Uh, but one of them that they do have is campfire. And so in places where we can't, uh, you know, like we did a couple things at a school and, you know, I'm not going to take a burn barrel into the front entryway of a school. Right. So uh, to kind of replicate that, that scent and kind of trigger that amygdala, I went ahead and used that scent to get people that were staged at the front door, getting their masks on, they were getting whiffs of it and it smells just like a campfire. So it's as close as you can. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can jump. Amazon is my friend, man. Like I can jump on Amazon <laughs> right now and order you a full, um, you know, the flickering led lights that look like fire. You can take like four or five of those, put them in a box, put some, uh, 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 Oh, clear plastic. Uh, what's the word I'm looking this for? This queen type. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, put some stuff over it, make it watertight. And, oh, okay. uh, I got you. And it, yeah. And I mean, you know, you got yourself a firebox. Like that's where you're going to aim the hose. If you bust it up or break it or spray it and it shorts out, you're out like 15, 20 bucks. Right. You right, know what I mean? Nice. Um, and I've looked at some of the major manufacturers. I've looked at some of those training si- simulators, uh, the, the fake fire stuff. I mean, they're, they're super cool, man, but they're also like upwards of 20 some thousand dollars for one panel. Right. I can't afford that. So nice. All right. Getting my notes back up here. Great question, Justin. Keep them coming guys. That was, uh, that was all you guys in question one. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, moving on. One of the things I pulled out of your website when I was looking at Valor Fire Training is we don't just teach, we learn with you. I love this philosophy, man. So I want you to speak on your training philosophy uh, like you haven't already, but just go from there. Yeah. So uh, when we started Valor Fire Training, it was uh, a group of, of firefighters that just liked training. And, you know, it got to the point where I had to make it something more formal. It was, you know, us just going out and teaching. And so we threw a name on it and came up with a cool logo. And I'm, we were like, I'm pretty sure we were sober when we did it, but you know, it, it was one of those things where, yeah, it was a 50, 50 shot. Um, but you know, when we did this whole thing, it was based around the fact that we are students of the fire service. And I have that in my bio for a reason. I'm not a 23 year veteran of the fire service. I'm not a veteran of anything, right? I'm a 23 year student because every day I go to work, I learn something new every day that I'm a paramedic. I learn something new. So for me, the philosophy of we don't train you, we train with you, uh, that's always been something that I've instilled in myself and, and I've instilled it in all of the other instructors. And I hope that everybody else kind of starts picking up on that uh, is because I, every time we go teach, man, and you know this, you've been there, I go teach a class and I walk away with probably six or seven more nuggets than what I walked in well, with. Yes. Right. It, I'm learning from the students just as much as they're learning from me. 100%, man. Which brings me to, I'm getting my notepad out here. 
because I wanted to bring it up. Because I stole this from the right here, Docindo Decimus. That, and I don't even know if I pronounced my uh, Latin right. Through teaching, we learn. And I it won't even show up too bright. Yeah. Yep. I stole that from, I got it from Devin Craig. I don't know where he got it from, but that if I ever make a challenge coin at what point I do, that is going on it, man. I love, love, love that thing. Yeah. So, uh, the perfect storm, that's a segue into the next class I wanted to talk about. And I love this concept because, uh, I love, I love, loves the wrong term. I passionately read NIOSH line of duty death reports and study them. And, uh, one of the things that, that always sticks out is it's always these series of dominoes that that take effect and your class the perfect storm is all about identifying those beforehand and removing those and so go ahead and talk about the perfect storm yeah so uh you know the perfect storm people ask where it came from like what was the concept uh before you know how did it how did it happen uh and, and i'll be 100 percent honest with you I, I came up with that class because i was super pissed off i was really really pissed off at the fire service uh, because there were a series of events that had happened over probably a seven or eight year period. And it was the same damn thing every single time, you know, failure to have good radio communications, failure to have situational awareness, failure to have, you know, crew integrity, failure to have this failure to have that. Right. Uh, and so it's like, are we not learning anything from this? Like, are we really not taking the time to figure out why these things are happening and how I can keep it from happening to me or anybody else. And, and I know it's lip service, you know, oh, we're going to go read NIOSH reports, man, half those people don't actually read them, right? They're, they're, they're long, they're lengthy. You can read the first page and get 90% of it. Um, but what, what scared me even more and what kind of frustrated me to the max where I decided to come up with this class was when I started looking at the events that happened that killed the, the civilians. You know, it's tragic when we die, Absolutely. but it's even more tragic when it's preventable and it was them. Right. right. So, uh, you know, like looking at the station nightclub fire, a lot of people don't know this. Uh, the station nightclub fire, uh, was uh, the station nightclub was a cheeseburger joint before it was a nightclub. Right. Right. I and know this, so. yeah, so it was a cheeseburger joint. And, uh, when they changed the occupancy type, the inspector came out to do the inspection and there was one checkbox there was a change of occupancy type that if that would, if that box would have been checked, it would have required them to put in sprinklers. Wow. So one check box would have required them to put in sprinklers and that box never got checked and you saw the end result, right? No doubt about it. Yeah. Uh, the, the ghost ship fire in California, you know, how many opportunities were there? You know, you had a fire station less than four or five blocks away. You had multiple interactions with law enforcement. You had code enforcement who showed up and knocked on the door. Nobody would let them in. So they went, well, we can't do anything. So they turned around and left. You know, there were all these opportunities for things to happen to prevent what ultimately happened from, from becoming a reality. Right. But, but nothing did. And so this whole class is based around looking at those red flags and looking at the things that we do on a daily basis. You go to a big box storage warehouse place and you run a medical there four or five times a week, right? Okay. I mean, we're in Kansas City. We got an Amazon plant. I, I, it's not in my district, but you know, there's an Amazon plant or Amazon uh, warehouse. Distribution, yeah. Yeah. Big ass building, right? Yeah. Fire department goes there for medicals all the time, but they don't have enough hose to get to the middle of that building. So what are you going to do if it catches on fire? No you know, doubt. Do you have internal standpipes? Do you have, you know, what do you, what, what's your plan? No, no. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. And. 
Yeah. So it's, it's all about looking at the department and looking at the infrastructure and looking at the demographics and saying what is going to get us hurt or get us killed, uh, whether it's us or them, and how are we going to fix that? And so it kind of breaks it down into a, a, a pragmatic way of looking at it and saying, okay, I'm going to take this and this is a red flag, so we're going to address it. And I call it chasing kinks. Nice. Right? So you're, nice. You're going to start at the end of the, the barrel right? And the one that I love using the most is the AED, right? So somebody comes to you and says, uh, you know, Hey chief, uh, the AED is not working. The red lights on, right? So what are you going to tell them to do? Uh, yeah. Take the battery, take the, <laughs> yeah. So they pop the battery out, they pop it back in and the thing turns green. So now what are you going to tell them to do? Run it through its paces, make sure it's working. Yeah. It seems like it works, right? No big deal, whatever. So we throw it back on the rig. So what's the worst case scenario that could ever happen with that AED? It doesn't function and someone dies. Yeah. I mean, that's bad, right? But, but is that like the absolute worst case scenario? I'm, I'm, I'm wondering where you're heading here. I'm trying to, I'm trying to track. All right. So we run a call, right? We run a code. It's in a secluded, you know, a, a single family, you know, residence, whatever. Two people witness it. AED doesn't work. Patient dies, right? Okay. We can, we can fix that. Right. Whatever happened on scene happened on scene. It was horrible. You know, we're going to fix the AED. No big deal. So take that same exact scenario and go to a high school auditorium in the middle of a basketball game with like 2000 people in the auditorium and somebody drops dead and the whole auditorium is watching you and you pop that thing open and it goes beep, beep, replace battery. Yeah. Try explaining that one. Right. Because you can't get out of it. So it's, it's all about looking at situations like that. And instead of just saying, Hey, it was red, something happened with the battery. We popped it out, popped it back in. It's good. Throw it back on the rig. Think about the worst case scenario and then work your way back. Okay. It could be something as simple as saying, Hey, let's take that out of service and have it checked before we put it back on the rig. Right. I'm not smart enough. I'm not a, you know, AED guru, but maybe you have one, or maybe you got a spare that you can throw on the rig for now until that thing gets bench tested to make sure that there's nothing wrong with it. Nice, nice. Uh, can you take it too far is my question. Where's the – I'm asking, I'm asking, I don't know. I'm, I mean, it's as far as you want to go with it, right? I mean, as a as a company officer, I'm willing to take it all the way down, right? right? Like, I'll, I'll take it all the way to the end of the rope because it's going to be my ass on the line if something goes down. I love it. So, you know, it's something as simple as a hose load that keeps, you know, sloughing off and you can't get the hose load out, right? Yeah, we got other hose loads on the rig. We got other cross lays. We can figure it out. But what if that's the one cross lay that I need to start hitting a fire to protect a firefighter that fell through a floor? Yeah. And I can't get it off the rig, right? So how far far do you want to go? Uh, well, to me, that one's uh, a lot bigger deal than the uh, <laughs> than the battery. But yeah, no, and, and it is. But it's like it, it, I think when you look at it, and our our general disposition in the fire service is, eh, you know, it works. It's fine. Just throw it back on the rig. I mean, no. that's that's commonplace in the fire service. No, I like that. I like that. Uh, asking the question is, what's the worst thing that can happen? Like, not in a hey, what's the worst thing that can happen? Not in a dismissive kind of way, but let's extrapolate this forward and say, what is the worst case scenario that can happen? Now let's play backwards from there. Sure, I think that's a cool mind shift uh, to 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 aim towards. Well, and and you know, I, I will say this. Uh, you know, I'm not a huge fan of pack trackers. Uh, I've been pretty vocal about that. <laughs> Uh, I think that they have their place and, and they're coming out with some really cool stuff technology wise. But I mean, the old pack tracker where it gives you a signal strength and you can't tell if they're up or down or whatever. Um, 
you know, the battery on that thing goes dead. What's the worst thing that can happen? Well, it's going to take a little bit longer to maybe find you, but we have a, a thousand other things that we can use to find someone. Um, you know, what happens if the tick battery's dead? Well, that's a bigger deal to bigger me than deal. the pack tracker. Right. Right. Huh? Okay. Dude, I love it, man. I love it. All right. Moving, punching forward medical response to the firefighter May Day. So this is the actual class that I met you at in person. So we knew of each other, but this is where I actually got to meet you, shake your hand and say, Hey, how you doing? Uh, I loved it because it focused so much more on, um, what needs to happen on an actual May Day as opposed to just getting them to the door and say, Hey, drill's done. Yeah. So I, that was a, that was a, a great, uh, eye opening point for me because every May Day scenario I'd run before I came to your class was good job. Hey, our fictional ambulance is right here. You guys did good, you know? <laughs> so sure. Go ahead. I want you to uh, just explain the, the germ of that class and all that goes into it. Yeah. So uh, it, it is essentially just that. I mean, it is a Mayday class. It is a RIT class. It incorporates, uh, you know, survival techniques. I mean, it, it, it does a lot of the stuff that everybody else's, you know, uh, saving our own type uh, class does. But what it really emphasizes is what are you going to do after or during the rescue to be able to, um, you know, try to save that person's life. And, and again, I'm telling a lot of stories just because it kind of plays into how this whole thing happened. I love stories. Uh, so, uh, you know, we had a firefighter who was going up a stairwell. Uh, they were flowing water on the second floor. Stairs were slick. Dude slipped and fell, twisted his leg. He called a mayday. He was super calm. He's like, you know, mayday, mayday, mayday. I fell. I'm on the, on the landing. I can't get up. I don't know if I broke my leg. I just need help getting down, right? Dude gets up, uh, kind of s- sits himself up. Uh, crew goes in and grabs him, and, you know, he's trying to get up, and they keep screaming at him, you know, stay down, stay, stay down. down. Right. You know, they're, they're like, screaming at the dude to basically, like, F off. Like, right. Just lay down, and we're going to carry you out. And he's like, I can walk. He goes, the next thing I know, somebody's reaching down and cranking on my bypass. And I'm like, what the fuck is, you know, what, right. what just happened? <laughs> so they pick him up by all four limbs and carry him out. And they get out to the front yard and they set him down. And then everybody's just staring at each other. And they're like, well, what do, what we, do we do now? now? Right. Yeah. And he goes, are you guys going to help me? You know, like, what, what are you doing? So uh, it was a very, very minor, thank God it was a minor thing. Uh, you know, he had a, a twisted ankle or twisted you know, knee, whatever it was. Uh, it wasn't a career-ending thing. He wasn't physically uh, uh, off work or anything like that. But it, it reinforced the point that that's how we've always trained. It's always the, the dead mannequin that doesn't talk back to you, that doesn't fight with you. You always have to go over the hill, through the woods, through the tube, to Grandma's house we go. And as soon as you get there, you can't go out any other way. Where do we end up having to go? Yeah, back the way we came through all the same that, exact yeah. way that we came at, you know. So the obstacle course that we created to make it difficult. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. So uh, you know, really what this class kind of uh hones in on is doing a rapid assessment on your firefighter when you find them and finding out like how am I going to treat them? How am I going to do this? Love it. Uh you know, if we're trapped on a second floor and we're waiting for a ladder and we don't think that they have a pulse, we've already proved it. I mean, look at the guys that do the firefighter CPR stuff, right? And and that was an amazing, awesome thing. The first 15 seconds of that scenario or that training is doing CPR with bunker gear and an air pack on, right? So if it works in the front yard, right. why the hell wouldn't it work on the second floor? Yes. So 
you know, that's my thing is, and I tell people all the time, if you're going to walk into a nursing home on a cardiac arrest and then stand there for five minutes while you're waiting on the cot, that's the same exact thing as waiting with a down firefighter who doesn't, you don't know if they're breathing or have a pulse. Right on. No, you know, no, it's, it's, it's a, a hierarchy, a prioritization of what's going on. I mean, it, it really is, man. It was eye opening when I took it. Uh, Justin Lorenzo said medical response to the firefighter mayday. One of the best classes I've attended. Uh, Kevin McCart said, I believe the perfect storm, so to speak, is bred from agencies being accidentally successful. That's a great statement. Yeah. Our accidental success has led to a lot of uh, accidental uh, best practices uh, that continue to this day. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, to Kevin's point, uh, and Justin, thank you. Uh, that was the first time I had met Justin was down in uh, Oklahoma city when we taught the class down there. But, you know, to, to Kevin's point, man, luck is not a plan, right? Like you can't sit there and be like, man, we really lucked out. We right. like, nothing, nothing bad happened. Don't tell the chief. So, you know, I think a lot of times you're right. You know, we, nothing bad happened this time. And we're so quick to just accept that. And not sit there and, and, and I'll be, I'll be hundred percent honest, man. Like I'm that dude. I am that dude that will be sitting around the kitchen table after a good fire. And you know, everybody's like, man, you know, high fives and, yeah. and ass slaps. slaps. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, man, we, we fucking sucked at that. Like that didn't go well at all. And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, man, that host stretch sucked. And that it took us way too long to get that door open. And when we were going in, I hung a left turn instead of a right turn. And I knew I should have gone right. Cause I felt the heat and, and everybody's like, dude, you're bringing us down. And I'm like, no, I'm trying to help us learn that it's not all roses and, and potpourri, you know? Right. So you don't always want to be the negative guy. You right. always want to be the one. That's like, I like oh, how do you find that balance between um, honest critique of where we can improve and shitting on what the guy's got accomplished? You know, it's it's like, do you have a do you have a, a, a metric that you use in your head or is it just? Yeah, so. So I actually do, okay. uh, you know, essentially it's, it's coming at it from the standpoint of here's what we did. Well, here's what we did not so well. And here's what we're going to do in the future to make sure that what we didn't do so well doesn't happen again. So it, you have to have all of it, right? You can't have a group of people over here saying we kicked ass and a group of people over here saying we sucked. You have to come together, uh, as a group and you know, like my shift at my career department, we're real big into this. Uh, you know, we'll talk about it after calls. Uh, we just had a, a really, really bad situation that happened uh, a couple weeks ago and ended up doing some rope rescue stuff. We, it was a body recovery. Mm. Um, and so, you know, afterwards we were like, man, you know, that didn't really work that well. We should have done it this way. We didn't really think about that. At the end of the day, we did our job. We did it right. Um, but, you know, we walked away from that with the understanding that we can always do it better. Um, and on the volunteer side, we actually have a structured critique that we do after every major incident where, you know, it's boxes, man. It's, I it's, love, it's, I love, you know, I love structured, cr- uh, man. Uh, sorry. Uh, no, I got it. Anthony I mean, Avillo came down to that at the North Florida fire expo had so much stuff. In fact, I need to reach out to him and get him on the scrap a, but B I need to reach out to him and get the, 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 uh, sheets that he had made up. Uh, anyway, sorry, sidetracking. Cause you know, that's, you sparked that's, my I mean, brain once again. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, if you're going to use a structured format, it, it helps because you can't run from that, right? right. Like you're going to, everybody fills one out. And so I might've seen something that my driver didn't, or I might've seen something that my company officer didn't. And so then we, we compile them and we say, all right, here's the deal. Like, this is what we did, right? This is what we did wrong. Um, you know, here's what we're going to do. And then we actually set benchmarks. So, you know, here's, here's the training that we're going to do in the next six months because of what just happened. 
So I'm old school. I like have my little notebook and I, my mini pens, so I always have them with me. Uh, but no, like this is a critique, and this is stro- stolen straight out of fi- Functional Fire Company, uh, Chief yep. Scott Thompson. It's you always hit apparatus placement, water supply, line selection, level of aggressiveness, the problem solving strategy slash tactics, the tasks and techniques. And uh, if you if I found that if I just use just this little bit of structure, it improves the because uh, we don't have a we don't have a structure uh, for our critiques beyond whatever the chief says goes, you know, of the battalion. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, amazing. Uh, that, that, that goes on hot washes. Yes. Uh, let me catch you up. Todd Edwards said, I know of a similar one where the writ grabbed and removed the wrong firefighter. So yep. those, those kind of things, man, go on all the time. Um, perfect storm. BJ breacher said, excellent point regarding once we get someone out of the building for writ too often our written rescue drills end. Once we get them out of the building, and this is not the end. Yeah. So, yeah, the whole reason for your class, really. Yeah, and it doesn't matter. Like I said, man, I mean, I, you know, we run, uh, you know, I run ALS departments, right? So, I mean, we have all the, the toys and bells and whistles and stuff. Um, and you are a but, prayer god. Yeah, and, and I'm, I I have a hard time walking through some doorways, man. There are times. Right? <laughs> I got I to squeeze it in. Right. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, we've done a lot of departments that were ALS, but we've done even more that were BLS. And so, and we've even done departments that just had CPR cards, right? That's all they got. But uh, it, it's been so amazing in my travels and teaching that class because of the way that we do it and because of the way that we present the material it's not in a like slap you in the face type thing. It's not, I'm not trying to show you up, but I've had people walk up to me and be like, Hey man, I've been a paramedic for 20 years. You're not going to teach me anything that I don't already know. <laughs> I just didn't tell me that. Right. Nice. And then I got in and we talk about it a lot in the class. So I go Brett Tarver on people a lot. Like I really enjoy going Brett Tarver on people. Um, we set up that exact same scenario. Like my mask got dislodged. I'm hypoxic. I have smoke inhalation. I'm confused. And you're not, are you, do you play Brett Tarver in this scenario? It's it. I, I call it, I call it going Brett Tarver. It's not Brett Tarver. I mean, I'm, I'm part of their crew. Um, but it's me being, becoming combative. Sure. Right. Sure. And you're not, it's not like you're a tiny guy. No. And, and I don't always pick the small people either. Like I'm going to go after the biggest, baddest person. Uh, and then other times I'm going to pick the smallest person. So it just depends. But, uh, you know, when we go and we do that and we start, uh, incorporating, you know, beating the crap out of people, uh, grabbing their air pack, ripping their masks off, doing stuff like that. Um, we had this guy so amped up this paramedic that told me, you know, I've been a paramedic for 20 years. You're not going to teach me anything. I went unresponsive and now I'm in cardiac arrest and I'm sitting there doing this bit you know, watching him out of the corner of my eye as he's trying to work my cardiac arrest scenario. And the dude couldn't figure out how to spike an IV back. Like I watched him take the wrong. Yeah. I watched him take the wrong end of the IV tubing and try and put it into the IV bag. And it just wasn't (laughs) right. He wasn't. Dude. I I mean, I'd love to say I've never been there as far as in some good training. So, yeah. And so luckily he came back to me after the class and he, after that scenario, he came back to me. He was like, Hey man, he's like, I'm sorry. I said that he's like, obviously I'd never been put in that situation. Um, but that's the whole point of the class is to get people to understand that it's stressful when it's a normal Tuesday training, right? right? Think about if it's your brother or your oh, sister. Man. Yeah. Just take it to 11. Yeah. Without a doubt. Uh, Todd Edwards, he said hot wash after every incident, three good, Three things to improve on and three things that sucked. 
After a while, you end up with six good and very little suck. I love that. I like the formula because uh, my firefighter brain can keep track of that. That's nice. Yeah, I like it. Tom Hollick said, be realistic with your crew. Own what you did wrong. Identify the weaknesses. Correct the wrongs through training. 100%. That's the reason we train, man. Uh, I, I, ideally, we can identify them before we ever get in the situation. And that's a lot of what uh, David focuses on. Dustin Duncan said, how do you address chiefs? that only want to debrief calls when things go south. If the fire goes out, they don't want to hear how we could improve. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, they're throwing some, they're throwing some fast, <laughs> ones at you, brother. So, uh, you know, I, I've definitely worked for some chiefs that, uh, you know, their ambition to improve uh, is, is less than ideal, right? Uh, and one of the things that I'm very well, uh, I guess I, I don't want to say known for, but one of the things that I've said more than I'd like to is that there I've worked for a lot of chiefs that will find solutions to problems that don't exist. Right. Nice. So, uh, you know, if you're going to find solutions to problems that don't exist, one of those has to be what you did on the fire ground. And so if you have a chief who won't acknowledge that something bad happened or that, you know, everything's rosy and nobody got hurt this time and everybody went home except for the homeowner, then, you you have to create that culture within your own shift, within your own battalion, within your own uh, department. Yeah. And so, uh, again, this is something that doesn't get talked about a lot. We put these firefighters out there and we tell them top down, top down, top down, hierarchy, uh, chain of command, chain of command, chain of command. Well, that's all they know. And so if that's all they know, they're never going to try and start something from the bottom up because that's not what they were told is the way that it works. And so uh, I believe wholeheartedly that, you know, like with Dustin, if you're not getting the answers that you need from your administration, that's when you sit down with your crew and you say, okay, guys, we're not getting what we need from the administration. We're going to do this on our own. So after every fire, we're going to use Todd Edwards plan and we're going to do, you know, three things here, three things there, three things there. And before you know it, you're doing it. And then pretty soon the next company starts seeing what you're doing. So now they're doing it. And before long, it's just everybody's doing it, and the chief doesn't really have anything to do with it. Yeah, has no control over it whatsoever. It just took yeah. over. I love that. Uh, and speaking of Todd Edwards, Todd Ed, uh, Todd Todd Ed, Todd Edwards needs to come on the scrap. I'm just I'm terrified to have him on here because of the way he calls people out in his classes. So yeah. and it's like, oh, no, I'm like hiding behind a chair, hoping he doesn't call on me. Uh, dude has an amazing style when he teaches. <clears throat> uh, getting my notes back so I can get back on track here. Um, one thing I wanted to say is you have an amazing voice, brother. Like uh, I, I know you've I know you've worked on getting your equipment <laughs> and everything, but dude, it's it's got a smooth delivery that I'm very jealous of. I well, thank you. Yeah, uh, I don't. It's weird when I started wearing the headset and I could hear myself talking. I'm like, oh my god, is that what I sound like? Right. No, so, it's yeah, great, no, man. It's I like soothing it. and and bassy. <laughs> it's got some depth. Uh, Woods forcible entry. Justin Mann says, tell David. What can we learn from just a volunteer from an Edmund Redhead? So I don't know if there's a story there or what. But. <laughs> so uh, there is a backstory. Okay. So uh, at the time that I went down and taught in uh, the, uh, I'll just say the Oklahoma City area, right? Okay. <clears throat> so I was, I was teaching in the Oklahoma City area. And uh, at the time that I did that class, uh, I was working full-time EMS and uh, I was a volunteer firefighter. I was paid uh, part-time, you know, but there was no career part of it. Right. Um, so I've done career, I've done volunteer, I've done part-time, uh, you know, I've kind of done it all. And like right now I 
volunteer on an apartment. I work part-time for one and I work full-time for another one. And I spread out my time between family and teaching and all this other stuff. But, uh, I, somebody made the comment that, uh, you know, they were kind of curious why a volunteer firefighter was coming to teach a career fire department <laughs> about, about maydays and medical response to the gotcha. mayday. And so, uh, man, I'll take those licks, dude. Like I'll sit there and I'll listen and, uh, you want to call me a mother effort? That's cool. Whatever. When we get out on the training ground, you better have your shit together. And and that's exactly what happened is, you know, the, the guy that made that comment afterwards, uh, you know, he didn't ever say anything to me, but I was looking at him. And I mean, that guy, that guy learned a few things and it wasn't, you know, listen, I'm not there to show anybody up. Right. But, uh, I, I don't care. You know, houses still burn the same. I don't care if you're in Western Kansas or the city of New York. Right shit still burns the same. Now your resources are different. Your training might be different. Your abilities might be different. Um, but the, 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 the root of the job is still the same. Right. Um, so, you know, now I'm career, uh, career fire and, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really come up that often, but, uh, I've learned more from, from volunteer instructors that are just volunteers. And I hate that term. It's not just volunteer. You're a volunteer. Your career. I don't care. Right. You're still doing. Building construction still matters. Fire behavior still matters, man. Like, yeah, and, like, and they're all different, right? right? It's a different job. It's a different, uh, you know, the volunteer side. There's different struggles than on the career side. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I one real quick story, and I just want to say this real quick. So I went to New York uh, after 9/11, and I stopped by. We were down in Manhattan, and I stopped by Rescue One's quarters, and I met Al Benjamin. Nice. And yeah, super, super down to earth, dude. Super nice guy. I was young, uh, inexperienced, you know, just super humble. And so I I walked in there and, uh, you know, we were talking and he said, where are you from? And I said, ah, you know, I'm from Kansas city. Um, I said, uh, and he goes, what do you do? I said, I'm, I'm just a volunteer. And he stopped and he looked at me. He was like, don't ever say that. I was like, okay. Yes, sir. Uh, Yeah. You know, I'm like, oh shit. I just pissed off a freaking rescue one guy. And, uh, I said, okay. I said, I, can I ask you why? And he goes, man, listen, he goes, when I come to work, I know my job. I know I'm a chauffeur. I know I'm on the irons. I know I'm on the roof. He goes, when you guys show up, he's like, you got to do everything. He's like, you never know if you're going to be driving, if you're going to be in command, if you're going to be on a roof, if you're going to be, you know, whatever. And so that, that was a huge eye opening for me that I was like, what the hell is he talking about? But he had a point. No, absolutely. I, I, one thing I always say, you know, the, the depending on manning and, and deployment models and everything else, you know, uh, task saturated and manpower short. And, and when you when you really get into the volunteer world, you're getting into role saturated, uh, not to mention tasks. So, yeah, it's just uh, hats off. Like you said, that's a great way of saying it. Pushing forward. I wanted to get to this question. Um, what, in your opinion, is the best way to build stress inoculation. How can we safely stress our guys and gals in training? So I really wanted to get to this question and see what your opinions were on it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think it's important, number one, uh, to have everybody understand what the purpose of stress inoculation is, right? Um, when when we're going to do stress inoculation, there is probably 45 minutes to an hour of PowerPoint slides and discussion and making them understand the physiological and psychological response that's going to happen when you are stressed out. So right. Like and that's straight up like on combat type. Yeah. Yes. Like I'm not just going to walk in and be like, ah, you know, right. 
but they have to understand, you know, the uh, tunnel vision. They have to understand uh, auditory occlusion. They have to understand, uh, you know, recognition, prime decision making. They have to understand all those things that incorporate into this, right? And even down to, I talked about it earlier, the amygdala. Right. So when you have certain smells, it triggers certain memories, which trigger that Rolodex. Rolodex flipping. Yeah. And so, you know, the smoke smell, if you incorporate that with stress inoculation, then as you're doing these things, it kind of unlocks that door to where now they have access to this whole other area of their brain where they've had all these sensory issues with, you know, somebody screaming over here. I got a person that's on fire over here and, you know, the car's on fire and I can see an arm coming out of it. So uh, when we talk about stress inoculation, there has to be the understanding that, listen, we're going to push you to that limit, um, but then we're going to back you back down and we're going to do it in a very controlled manner. Um, and Rick George does, you know, the tactical resiliency. Right. His, his way of doing it is amazing. Uh, it's just absolutely amazing. Right. And I love the one picture that just stands out. And I actually have a picture of it uh, upstairs in the other office. Uh, he's holding on to this firefighter. And he's got this firefighter held and they're just locked eyes. Right. Right. And you just see the firefighter with the mask on has these big eyes and Rick is just gas. And he's standing there staring at this firefighter. Um, the story behind it is, is that that dude was just checked out, right? Like complete vapor lock and Rick's holding on to him, talking him down. Nice. And so, uh, anyway, getting back to the whole thing, like when we start doing stress inoculation, uh, you have to start out small. So, you know, we use a lot of auditory, uh, stimulus, so something as simple as having, you know, multiple sirens going at the same time while the crew is stretching a line. Nice. Right. Now they can't communicate. Now they can't talk. That sound is annoying. And so it's stressing you out psychologically. Um, and then as you're doing things, your, your, your natural instinct is to turn away from it. Right. But I can't because now I have to turn towards what my objective is. So that's the first step is just starting out very slow uh, and then kind of working your way up to the OODA loop, right? Factoring in um, things that are going to throw them for a loop to make them stop and kind of realize what's going on, which leads me to the underwear, right? <laughs> right to the underwear. So, <laughs> right to the underwear. So, uh, you know, I'm pretty well known. There's other instructors that do it. Uh, William Knight is is probably one of the more well-known um, I am pretty well known for getting down to my underwear and I'll be a victim in theatrical smoke and, uh, you know, I'll pop out of a door. I'll come up, I'll grab somebody by their air pack and I'm screaming in Spanish that my, you know, three-year-old kids trapped in the back room. Well, they have nice. no idea what the hell to do because I've right. never experienced that. And so now not only are they physically stressed because their heart rate's going to go up now, they're psychologically stressed because they don't understand what I'm saying. Um, and so it, it kind of incorporates that whole thing of like, oh my God, what do I do? Well, when we back them back down, now we give them the key to the castle. So now I'm going to tell them like, Hey, is there anybody on scene who speaks Spanish? Oh shit. Yeah. The, the driver on the medic unit, he speaks Spanish. Okay. We'll call him over next time and say, Hey dude, I don't understand what they're saying. What are they saying? Yeah. You're sticking cards in the Rolodex, man. Right. Dude, right. I'm and sure. so. And, and what we've noticed is that at this point, like when you're doing the stress inoculation, you're getting them physically worked up. So their heart rate's increasing. You're, you're mentally stressing them. Um, but as you're giving them those keys to the castle, you're starting to see that form. And so you're starting to see that, you know, maybe this time they took 30 seconds to figure out, okay, well, I don't understand what they're saying. Next time, immediately they're on the radio and they're like, hey, I need somebody that speaks Spanish. Right. Um, and so then the last bit of it is just flat out, just getting them as worked up as you can, right? Like putting them into situations where, um, in a safe way, 
right? They're trapped. They can't get out. They're underneath something. Um, and, and that's something that's very scary as an instructor because that's where you can really hurt someone. Sure. You know, you can, no, no, absolutely. You start restricting somebody's movement, and I see a lot of people doing it, right? Like they take the, the, the chain the, link, yeah. The chain link or the, the, the orange stuff. Yeah. Uh, you got to be really careful about that. Uh, and so, you know, what we usually do is uh, we'll, we'll do it in a very controlled fashion, and we always have somebody on a safety position where they're eye to eye, face to face with the student to make sure that they're, they're fine, right? Um, and so we get them to that point where they just vapor lock and then we walk them back down and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. Nice. So, uh, it, it's a very, it's a very structured thing, but, uh, you know, that's one thing that I wish was taught more in the initial education, you know, out of 240 hours of initial education that firefighters go through for the, for the standard, they don't do that. Right. They don't talk about stress inoculation. It's like, no, well, here's no, how to throw a ladder. A thousand percent, man. I would go. Uh, one thing I enjoy is the auditory, like, and I became a believer on accident because I had a captain that would, uh, he would take one of these little Bluetooth speakers and stick it in there and he'd stick haunted house sounds. Yep. And it was just, you know, like these, these weird eerie screams, which uh, when I first heard it, I'm like, all right, that's a, that's annoying already, you know, and I'm out there, but man, when you're in there in low vis and that's the, just keeps on going and keeps on going and it's not stopping. And it was like, yes, I could feel my blood pressure standing out watching it. Yeah. rising you know what i'm saying and i'm not even the one in there in the low viz trying to find somebody sure and you know not to take away from the music because that and it's great you know and i love listen man you do you you know i i love however you're gonna do it right my personal uh way of doing it is smoke detectors and strobe lights Dude, right? uh, yeah no the beep beep yeah yeah well and it, just the the constant beeping mm-hmm. right or the or the or the sound of a uh commercial fire alarm that you know i did find I, I found one that was industrial sounds and it was just like clanks and and yep. and, and like a generator sounds like almost like your fans going yep. I, I enjoyed those i really don't i'm not a fan of just like like swedish death metal going <laughs> right yeah, but i mean for each their own but yeah, it works, but I, I want it to be more realistic because right. that's what is going, again, going back to the realism, those are the things, and we've all been there, man. We've all been on automatic, you know, smells and bells, and we're like, would somebody please turn off the damn alarm? No doubt. No doubt. You know? Hit the silence I, button, please. Yeah, I mean, my heart rate's like 120, and I'm freaking out over here because I've been listening to this damn thing in a warehouse for 15, 20 minutes. All right, throwing stuff at you. Uh, Devin Craig said, that's some next-level training. Matt Wallace says, this is deep. I love it. So we're getting good feedback. Justin Mann said, is there any type of failure training that you incorporate into new recruit training or annual training? So uh, new recruit training, kind of. Uh, annual training, yes. So at both departments, uh, this last, let me back up. So uh, at the career department, we uh, had a, two new two new hires, and we did the stress inoculation and uh, air management. And so what we did was had them running around doing a circuit course. Um, we had them getting yelled at and doing some stress inoculation type things. Uh, and then as soon as they hit low air, we had them lay down and control their breathing and meditate. Uh, and and truth be told, man, we had a we had a female firefighter. She is just awesome. Uh, she, after low air, she went 86 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. 86 minutes after low air. Like some serious, and this is no like shit. I got deep I got, monk meditation. Like, dude, slow. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what place she was in. Right. But, but it was a, I was like, I kept looking at my watch and I'm like, what is going on? I mean, we're watching her heart rate and a right. resting heart rate on the monitor. 
uh, we had the pulse ox and the blood pressure cuff on her resting heart rate was like 46. Wow. You know, but she's an athlete. She's, you know, she's right. right. No, absolutely. She was rocking it. Right. Um, so we do it that way. Um, but as far as, you know, uh, initial training as, as, as a norm, no. And, and that's where I go back to. I think it should be. I think everyone that comes into the fire service should have to have that stress inoculation. hundred percent. And I, dude, I think it should. Yeah. Um, Jack Wilson, right on page with what we're talking about here says stress inoculation training should be taught at rookie school level, had an opportunity at Fairfax, Virginia, before I retired six years ago to attend. It was a humble eye opener. Uh, Tyler Lee said, great point, strong conversation. Josh Hawk said, sign me up. That was one of my first medic experiences with a birth in a parking lot. Talk about stress inoculation when you don't speak the language. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, the, the Spanish thing that just kind of came out of a whim. Like I was sitting there one day, (laughs) I was bored. We were down, we were in between scenarios and I'm like, I'm going to scream at somebody in Spanish. Right on. Uh, And so, you know, it's either, I'll tell you what, and just to give people, if you ever come take one of my classes, it's either going to be my house is on fire. My three-year-old is trapped in the back bedroom or my 500 pound cousin is trapped on the second floor. That's all I know how to say in Spanish. Okay. That's what I was going to ask. Are you bilingual? So that's what. No. No, not at all. But I just memorized those. how to say that. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Perfect. Um, what was I going to throw at you? Uh, I wanted to say, I wish I could get to the point where I was, te- and I could do it where I was technically savvy enough to share my screen and show that picture of you in your underwear being grabbed <laughs> by those firefighters in that training. But I'm not, I won't even try it. I could probably get it done, but I'm not going to try it right now. So, and I'll spare the audience, the, the, the beauty that is Dave Mellon in his underwear. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, and honestly, man, like it's a thing. Uh, and, and it's not, I'll be 100% honest, it's, it's more painful for me. And a lot of people don't think about that. I mean, when I'm in my skivvies and I'm getting drugged down a staircase yeah. because I'm pretending to be unconscious. Right. Not a pleasant, not fun. It's not, not like pleasant. A, no, it's not pleasant for me. And it's definitely not pleasant for the person carrying me. But I, again, it's one of those things where I wanted to make it as realistic as I could. Right um, you know, and so even, and then, you know, Justin can attest to this, uh, uh, Justin and, um, man and Lawrenson can, yeah, Justin can and Justin, Justin and Justin, um, you know, using, using lube, right. Using KY jelly or, uh, um, you know, uh, some people use Dawn dish soap. Uh, I just don't like how the soap soaks into everything. The right. other stuff's water-based. So, um, but you know, re- replicating those burns, you know, having that KY or, or some sort of lubricant from your elbow down to pr- replicate a degloving. Right. You just know, those are things sloth. that you, just yeah, sloth. I mean, you can't get, you can't. Yeah. Um, yes, hundred percent. Uh, I want to get on some other things. Valor fire training, of course, is on YouTube. Uh, and the Q and A's man. Uh, they're awesome. One of my favorite, it's it's a toss up between Brothers in Battles episode. I think it's number three. I could be wrong on the number. Aaron Fields episode and then Valor Fire Trainings, Kyle Romagus episode. Uh, dude, and then you had Jay Bonifield on to like throw a like, oh yeah, well watch this, so, uh, <laughs> dude. Some 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 like I've made so many of my company officers. I'm like, hey, watch this Kyle Romagus episode of the Q and A with Dave Mellon, Valor Fire yeah. Training. It is some solid information that you guys talked about discussed and pulled out man i appreciate that i can't thank you enough for that no it's just the, the value is there so uh the q a's on youtube and then of course i would be remiss if i didn't bring up the hot seat oh the hot seat yeah let's let's talk about the hot seat man you got one coming up right i we do is i guess number I two got or number three 
so it's it's technically number three. Okay. But number two was so butchered. I did. Okay. So <laughs> number one was. Well, for, well, first, uh, tell people what it is. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so the hot seat came out of a really, really dysfunctional conversation that we were having at the firehouse. Um, I was watching episodes on TV through uh, uh, streaming of Hot Ones, right? right? And if anybody hasn't seen Hot Ones, it's where they interview celebrities and they eat progressively hotter hot wings. And it's painful to watch, but it's super entertaining, right? And so one of the guys that I work with was like, man, somebody should do that for the fire service. And I was like, dude, I'm going to be that dude. I'm going to do that. Yeah, like that's me. I'm dumb enough to do that, right? Uh, And so for those of you that know me, you know that I don't do spicy stuff, right? Like that's just not my thing. I did not know that. So I thought that was like up your wheelhouse or something. No. So if I'm at work, I absolutely do not eat spicy stuff, right? Like if I'm at home and I'm in a safe place, I can get away with it uh, for obvious reasons. But it's just not, not a good idea when you're at work. So when I started looking into this, I was like, man, I was like, this actually could be something like for real. Right. So, um, we did our first pilot episode where, uh, we had Jake Hoffman, um, uh, Brandon Fletcher and, uh, Curtis Hensley from, uh, up in Nebraska. And we were up at Les Luker fire conference. And so we actually did one. We brought in hot wings, uh, Genesis fire tools, uh, sponsored it. And we had them eat from the least spicy to the most spicy while we were just asking stupid firefighter questions. Right on. And uh, so, you know, people liked it. it. It was a very small showing. It was just kind of a, like I threw it up on Facebook and, and I got a lot of positive comments. So uh, on the hot ones on YouTube, one of the sauces is called the bomb. And I found out that it was actually made by a company here in Kansas City called Spice and Foods. And so I reached out to them and said, hey, would you guys be interested in, uh, you know, kind of hooking us up with some sauces? We'll pay for them, but I'd like to get kind of the same right. idea. And uh, the guy says, hey, man, I'll do you one better. We'd love to host your show here. And uh, nice. we want to help with the production. And uh, we kind of want to make this a thing. And I said, well, that's great. But I said, the only problem with that is, is that we really wanted to kind of do this as a uh, benefit for charity. And he goes, dude, I'm already one step ahead of you. He goes, we want to try to help you guys make like a line of uh, basically Valor Fire training hot sauce. Nice. And uh, so what we're going to do, kind of the, the general plan right now, is we're going to do, whenever we travel and we go to conferences or when we're, we're are going around, we're going to film these episodes. Um, and we're going to do them both kind of organically and then professionally. But uh, through the sales of the sauce, through you know the outlet of Spice and Foods, um, we're going to donate por- a portion of the proceeds to a charity. So the one that we're doing on the 22nd is going to Tunnels to Towers. Nice. Very nice. That's awesome, man. No, and I enjoyed it. I don't know if I saw the second one. Is, did the second one not make it to air? No. So okay, uh, okay. I, I, I was I, wondering. I, I was like, okay. Listen, man. I'm, I'm I try to track. <laughs> well, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. There was more bleeping from me out of that whole entire episode. And I'm like, there's literally five minutes out of 27 minutes where you can have actual conversation. Gotcha. The rest of it is me like, oh, my Oh my, I mean, it was just bad. It was bad. <laughs> right on. So uh, this one, this one will be a little bit more mundane. I got to watch my mouth. Fair enough. No. And see, I, I keep my little jar of ghost pepper sauce that I like to use, but I use it extremely, uh, selectively, uh, but it's mine and I, and I love it, but I'm not sure I would ever do a hot ones slash the hot seat. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think we'll get you to do one. We'll we'll get you in there. Oof. Oof. Man, I mean, it's just going to be bleeps. 
at some point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and plus, I don't want to punish. Uh, yeah. Uh, the next day, Jessa Lorenzo said, definitely awkward buying multiple tubes of lube. Yes. Uh, so for those of you out there watching, I have a couple tips. Uh, one is if you go to Walmart, most of them uh, have that stuff locked up in a case. So you have to go find someone to ask to open up the case. Also, if you are buying those uh, products and then also buying Cabbage Patch dolls to put weights in as uh, child mannequins, Whoa, yeah. don't buy them at the same time. That. That was uh, that was quite the experience. We we basically walked in, we split, so we had you know half the cadre went one way, half the cadre went the other way, and uh, when we met back up at the checkout lane, we very quickly realized that we you can't check out at the same time, right? Because uh, we got a it's a Friday night. We got, we got cabbage patch dolls, <laughs> we got KY gel, we got a jar of mustard, yeah, and we got talk radio. Dude, it, was, it was bad. Right. It was really bad. But I mean, those are you know those are the funny stories that you think about later, and you're like, dude, what the hell were we thinking? You know. Uh, and that all started out because we for, we forgot the forgot the pediatric mannequins. Right. <laughs> no, Devin Craig said tips on lube. Didn't see that coming. Here's the deal: the scrap is a full service podcast. So, hey man, I, I tell it like it is. I mean, I don't want anybody to make the same mistake. Uh, Shane Bentley said this is excellent. Now my wife is watching. Hey, right there, Shane. I was almost going to double it up and go hat, but my hair was on point, so I had to leave it. <laughs> Actually, looked like I had some. All right. Uh, I got to get moving here because we are, you are fast becoming um, book or books that you think firefighters should read. I want to hear David Mellon's book or books. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think there's a bunch of them out there that everybody talks about. Um, you know, I've, I've read um, Jocko Willing's stuff. Uh, you know, the ones that I'm reading uh, right now, I just recently here, I uh, read again. It's like the third or fourth time that I read it. Uh, the Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And that is Dude, I think uh, that's the first time that's been on here. Yeah, it's, nice. you know, so, so, so full disclosure, I am, uh, as much as I'm a big burly dude, uh, I'm pretty sensitive and I worry a lot about what other people think. And so, uh, you know, it's one of those things where when I found out about this book, I was like, man, I got to read this. Like this might be my Bible for a little bit. Right. Um, and so what it really focuses in on is, is how to pick and choose which hills you're going to die on. And in my nice. fire service career, I have not done a good job at that right <laughs> i've picked a lot of hills and, and i'm sure anybody that knows me even remotely is like laughing their ass off right now right. because that is a hundred percent like i have picked hills and people are like dude dave shut up and i'm like yeah. no this is bs i'm gonna make a stand right and this is it this is the one i'm putting my heels in the ground on yeah and then i'm sitting in the office getting a write-up and it's like man i really should have just picked that battle differently um so the art of 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 not giving an f uh, it really kind of helped me dial in like how to focus in on, you know, family, personal time, um, you know, not letting myself get wrapped up into these battles that I don't need to be a part of. And, and the, you're still going to find yourself in the middle of shit that you really don't need to be. Sure. Um, but morally and ethically in the fire service, we stand with our brothers and sisters. So you're going to dive right in the middle of it because that's what you got to do. So uh, it's a little different for us being in public safety. Um, but there's a lot of really good lessons. The other one is uh, Leaders Eat Last by Simon S uh, nice. Sinek. No, it's one of my all-time favorite books. So Yeah, and uh, you know, I've, I've, I've taken principles from the Cliff Notes and used them, but I've never actually read the book. And so now mm. I'm actually diving in and, and really looking at kind of how to be a servant leader and how to um, 
let me say this. I, I, you know, as a company officer, I have always been the one to stand up for my crew. I've always been the one to, to make sure that I'm the first one in, the last one out. You know, that kind of stuff. Right. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but at the same time, I, I try to live by that. Um, and so this was just a way to kind of reinforce the things that I already do and make sure that I'm on the right track. Right on. Right on. Love it. Two solid books. And I don't think either one of them have ever been. I'm, I'm doing a really poor job of keeping the book list updated on Firehouse Vigilance. But yeah. today I was so proud of myself because I went in and added like episodes <laughs> 40 through 45. I added all the books. And so I'm going to try and do five to 10 uh, episodes a week and get it caught up because there is a, is, there is a ton of good book knowledge of, yeah. of all these guys that uh, just like those two, those are great. Those are great. So uh, perfect, man. Um, moving forward, we got what is known as the five questions for firefighters. So okay. it's a little thing we do on the scrap. There are five questions. There are no correct answers. There are just your opinions. I say that because it's not really true. But (laughs) the points are completely arbitrary, and they're assigned by me. So, uh, David Mellon, are you ready for the five questions for firefighters? I am. Let's do it. Here we go. Number one, what is the number one issue facing the modern fire service? I'm going to go with training culture, man. I mean, I'm going to go with what my passion is. Uh, I, I believe I, I said it earlier for those of you that weren't here listening when we uh, talked about it. I, I truly believe that there is an epidemic in the fire service today where we have uh, taken the realism away uh, and we still expect firefighters to function at the level of a firefighter without the, the application ability. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say that that is probably the the biggest thing facing the fire service. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to use my airplane pilot, uh, or airline pilot model. Okay. Uh, if I got on an airplane and the pilot said, you know, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is going to be your flight to Phoenix. And, uh, just so you guys know, I have 3000 hours in a flight simulator, but I've never actually flown a real airplane. Dude, I'm getting off that damn airplane. Like I am not, I don't want to be on that plane. Right. Uh, that it's not the same thing. And so that's what exactly what's going on in the fire service right now is that we've taken people and put them in a simulator for a certain set amount of hours. Mm. And then we expect them to take a plane with 186 people and fly them from point A to point B when they've never actually flown a real airplane. Dude, that is a great answer. Cause don't get me wrong. Training is the number one answer that it's, that gets spouted, uh, not spouted. That's the wrong word. That gets cited as the, as the answer to number one. And, but your articulation there and a couple of things to say. Hey, you use the term epidemic instead of pandemic because I'm so tired of hearing <laughs> pandemic. So I love that. But yes. the, your voice when you became the pilot was awesome, man. <laughs> Dude, that was that was spot on. But the analogy is perfect, man. Seriously. Like, if you don't understand at that point how important this training is, you know, uh, then you need to to check in, retire, and get and go get a job at McDonald's. Uh, yeah. Dude, love that answer. Max points, obviously, because that was a great answer. So number two, what is the thing you are most excited about for the future of firefighting? So uh, this is this kind of kind of go off into a rabbit hole. Uh, oh, like. Yeah. So, uh, you know, one of the things that I started, uh, well, let me back up. When I came into the fire service, a lot of the more veteran firefighters, the, the people that mentored me, uh, came on the job with little to no formal education, training, whatever, right? Uh, and so like one of the people that I looked up to and still look up to 
Uh, he was a taxi cab driver, and he actually gave the fire chief of a, a major city department a ride to the airport. And he was, you know, a young, strapping dude. And the fire chief was like, hey, man, you want to drive a, uh, a cab for the rest of your life? And he was like, no. He goes, Tuesday, uh, 845 in the nice. morning, come down I to the firehouse. That. Right? Um, so we have gotten away from that. And, and as I went through the first, you know, half of my career now, uh, I watched as we put so much emphasis on the actual educational institution component, right? Which I'm not. And before I get into this, for all the people that are about to lose their shit, just chill out for a second. Listen to what I'm saying. I really like the direction this is heading though. So. <laughs> just, just hold on. <laughs> you know that there's a couple of people that are like, Bleh. so, so here's the deal. We have focused so much on the educational institution side and we have put so much emphasis on getting certificates of completion uh, and, and diplomas on the wall but we forgot how to do the blue collar side of this job. Dude, yes, so, uh, yes. So right now we're watching as the fire service, and I, I wholeheartedly believe this. I've watched and I've sat back and I'm like, dude, look at Facebook, look at Instagram, look at Twitter, look at all the social media platforms. We're moving back in that direction. Yes. And the, just the other day, I saw a job posting for a, uh, uh, a training officer position in a pretty reputable department. Right, the, it's closed now, so I'm not gonna. I'm not going to say who it is, but it was a, it was a job posting and, uh, the, the credentials that you needed to have the job was more experienced based and more, you know, your ability to do the job. And it said, you know, like bachelor's preferred. So that is telling me that we're moving kind of back in that direction. Now, the part that I was saying earlier where everybody needs to chill out. Do I think that education is important? <laughs> yes. Do I think that people need to have an education? Yes, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, but I am also a firm believer because I grew up with it. I know firefighters who had that, that didn't have a master's degree that could perform master's degree yes. level functions. Thank you. So you have to differentiate between you got the formal education or you got the education through actually doing the job. So. And I think we're going back to that. And that's what I'm most excited about is to see the next 5, 10, I love 15 it. years. No, I love it. Because the fire service is notorious. Like I always say, they overcorrect this way. They hit the pavement all the way back to the other side. And <clears throat> right now, I feel like we were definitely getting back to understanding that there is no suit and tie when you ride a rig. Yeah. You know, it is a blue collar job. <clears throat> there is no casual. Yes, I love it. Uh I try not to give max points to every answer. I really try. That's the, it's a testament to the quality of the guests, man. I mean, I'm serious, man. It's max points on question two, no doubt about it. it I'll argue with anybody about that one. <clears throat> I'm working hard to not give you max points is what I want you to know. Okay. All this right. is, I don't want the five questions to become soft tosses. Number three, <laughs> the best rank or position to be in in the fire service. <clears throat> oh man see this is so my wife and i were just talking about this uh my wife is a saint for anybody that doesn't know uh, i've been married for a very long time I if she's married to you then i believe it so Dude, she's put up with a lot of crap uh so i have two sons uh aiden and leo and uh, we have our, our golden doodle halligan but you know our, our little family unit uh we katie and i were talking about this and she said you know like do you still uh, aspire to go on to you know like a chief level position um having the understanding that uh, for about six months I was the interim EMS chief director or whatever you want to call it of a, of a ALS career service. Um, I got thrown into it. It was something that I had kind of done in the past uh, on the volunteer side. It was fun. I enjoyed it, but I didn't like riding a desk. Right. Right. Um, so I think to me uh, the best position is 
probably that battalion chief captain that rides up to the battalion chief level. Um, because here's the deal. Like you, you have influence over some change, but at the end of the day, you can still throw on a pack and go inside. And, uh, you know, I, I've worked for a lot of great leaders who would be the first ones, you know, we're inside fighting a fire and I'm given a, a can report. And before I finish my can report, I can hear them talking to my left. And I'm like, what, what are you doing? They're like, Hey man, I just want to come in here and check and see what was going on. You know, what do you need? Like, get your white helmet and get the <laughs> hell out of here. Like, you, you need to be in the front yard or go do something else. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, to me right now, that's kind of that best uh, position. And I know a lot of great chiefs. I know a lot of great back-end firefighters. Um, but I think that's kind of the sweet spot is being able to, to act up to that battalion chief level, um, but also kind of being able to have that home base of being in a station on a rig with the crew. So you're saying company officer. Yeah, no, I'll say company officer. We'll, that, we'll that downgrade can, it. That can it. be the battalion chief. Yeah. The write-out company officer. Yep. I'm trying to figure out because max points is company officer. That's a given. It's, <laughs> it's a given. Like, I, I mean, company officer is probably the highest that I would want to go right now, right? I, I if, if a battalion chief position came open, that would be really hard for me. Brother, the, the transition, a uh, company officer is the best position in the fire service. This is Corley's opinion, so take it for yeah. what it's worth. But it's the best because you get just that, that deep, uh, connection to your crew, the maximum impact with those guys. My transition to, and, and everybody's different, don't get me wrong, but my transition to battalion chief was extremely tough as I figured out that it was no longer me being connected to those guys, it's me being connected to the company officers who were connected to the guys who take yeah. care of the people. Anyway, uh, I'm, I'm rambling, so I will go to question number four. You did, because it's, I have to be very careful because best rank position is company officer. It's, it's a standard rule. So you yeah. nailed it. So number four, <laughs> best advice you have ever received. Oh man, there's, there's been a lot, man. Uh, so I, Bob Cunningham, uh, was a captain up in Lincoln when I was an explorer up there and I, and I always looked up to him. I still look up to him to this day. I still talk to him. Um, him and his crew, we were sitting around the kitchen table. I'll never forget this. We were sitting around the kitchen table. I always had to make coffee. That was my job. And uh, we were sitting there, and he looked over at me, and he said, you know, Dave, he goes, I'm going to tell you something. He said, if you ever walk in a room and you think you're the smartest person in the room, you are absolutely the stupidest son of a bitch that ever walked through that door. And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> like, I had no idea what the hell he was talking about. So fast forward to now. Um, and I've caught myself, you know, I've caught myself walking into a room for a class and, you know, as a student and I'm walking in and I'm like, man, I'm pretty sure I know more than everybody in this room, like right just on. guys that I work with or, you know, whatever. Yes. Uh, and that little, you know, Bing. Bob Cunningham figure, yeah, he's sitting <laughs> on my shoulder and he's like, you're a stupid son of a bitch. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, he said it tongue in cheek, but I mean, that was absolutely the best, uh, because it kept me grounded, man. I no, mean, oh, I, yeah, and that's, no, I love that. Absolutely. Like I'm never going to sit there and think that I'm the smartest one that just walked into the room. And I've met so many people that do that to, to a fault. You know, they walk in and they truly believe that they are the end all be all smartest person that just walked into that room. And it's not just that they believe it. It's then they start acting like it, which then they, then, then they start showing it and it's like, yeah. Oh God, here we go. Yep. Please shut up. But excellent, man. No, and, and the, the lesson of humility that comes with that is beautiful. So I love it. I love it. Number five. And, and, and the thing I just want to say is no, the thing yeah. that I love about it the most is that it didn't mean anything to me at that age. Right. I you had no understand. idea the wisdom behind it. No. I was like, man, I was like 
I was an explorer. I was like 16, 15, 16 years old. I was like, I don't know what the hell he's talking about, whatever. I'm just going to go make more coffee. And, but it wasn't until, you know, five, 10, 15 years later that it was like, boom, it hit me. And I was like, Oh God, that's what he, and I actually called him and I was like, Hey man, that's exactly what you were talking about. I get it now. That's awesome. You followed up that you know, like years, years later. And that's the crazy part is, is those little statements people make and little pieces of advice and nuggets that people pass, they have no idea how big of a mentor they were in those moments, man. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Final question. Number five. Yeah. Heavy fire, searchable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? Oof. Do we get to ask questions on this too? Like this can I ask follow-up questions? There's your question. This is your answer now. <laughs> I've had so many people make up scenarios on this to go. I, you know, listen, I, I'm a firm believer. Uh, Sean Duffy and I talked about this when I was doing one of the podcasts with him. I, listen, man. I don't give a shit what you're doing on the fire ground. If I'm, if there's survivable space, I'm going to be in it. I don't care if I got a nozzle in my hand. I don't care if I got a roof ladder. I don't care if I got a Halligan. I don't, it doesn't matter to me. Right. Um, truly and honestly, I would rather be on the Venon or search side. Right. Because, uh, that's kind of the glory, <laughs> you know, that's like, the, 100%. that's going to be, yeah. Like that's going to be the cool part. Like I'm going to get to smash a window. I'm going to get to go dive in. I'm going to get to go do cool stuff. Um, but I will say that the, uh, the being on the knob is equally or, or even more important because it's all going towards that one thing, which is searching. I don't care if it's an inch or a foot or a whole room. I'm going to protect the shit out of that area until it's been searched. And I'm going to make sure that that crew and that victim are going to be able to get back out. So. Dude, I almost was like, nah, he's, he's going, he's waffling on both. So I'm not going to give him max points, but then the, the conviction on inch foot. Yes. Yeah. You sold me at the end. <laughs> so you want it, you want it at the end with the conviction and the passion. So excellent. There it is. The five questions for firefighters, according to David Mellon in Valor fire training. I love it, man. I, that that was tough. That was really tough. I man, it's not hot seat tough, but no, it's. <laughs> but it's, it makes you think. You're like, shit. I got to pick one. No, I, and and more importantly than either one, because either one. I mean, I've had some great answers on that, you know, and I've had some answers that completely came out of left field on it, and but more importantly, it's the reasoning behind it. Yeah. And so, like, uh, for me, when you said, you know, when again, it's the conviction that that really sells it for me. So. Uh, that's awesome, man. Oh, uh, let me do some, uh, best place to contact you, reach out, book a class, get you to come in and do whether it's the perfect store, medical response to the firefighter mayday or fire for effect. How do they get a hold of you? So, uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Uh, we have a, a www.valorfiretraining.com. Uh, I don't do a lot with the website to be a hundred percent honest. That, that was like, you know, oh, cool, I got a website and a, a web address. And then it was like, well, shit, you know, Facebook's 10 times easier. Um, so if you if you hit us up on Facebook, you can send us a message. Uh, all our contact info is on there, phone number, email address. It's david at valorfiretraining.com. Um, and then we're, we're actually working right now to revamp the website to uh, start working on some automated booking stuff where people can actually go in and put in like a time frame. Like I want to do a class this month. Nice. Uh, and then it'll kind of help us to, to streamline that process and get us the information so that we can kind of work on it. But uh, we really do everything kind of word by mouth. Um, you know, once people call, we, we talk to them and find out what their needs are and, and how they want to do it. 
uh, and then we figure out the best solution. So it's not a one, you know, our classes are classes. I mean, they're going to be similar, uh, but the format and the delivery are pretty much up to the department. So very nice. Very nice. Um, BallardFireTraining.com, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. You can find all the Q&As and the hot seats. Um, yes. Perfect. I'm going to do house cleaning, which is uh, on to the Fallen Fire Conference. It had hit a major hiccup yesterday when I found out that the World Series of uh, uh, NCAA Women's Softball World Series is in Oklahoma City the weekend I was trying to put it. So long story short, there is not a hotel room available in Oklahoma City on that weekend. So we are now moving the the conference to june 25th through the 27th so please share it go follow honor the file and fire conference on facebook um the raffle for this event is growing to be one of the largest raffles i've ever been uh seen in the fire service there's so many conference passes you can win from fire nuggets to cf tactics to the first in to uh, revolutionary fire tactics at the lake to bears of the oath like just the conference passes you can win is unreal. Not to mention the swag being donated. Uh, I've contacted every speaker that was scheduled to speak on the on the original dates, and every one of them, with only one exception so far, is able to move their dates. So as soon as we get the dates locked back in, the registration will be going live. It's a hiccup, and I apologize, but it is moving forward. Uh, so much going on. Now then, the... Uh, Challenge coin for the week. I like to go through this and show it off. This one is really cool. It's a unique. It's the first square coin I've ever gotten. And it's from John Barrett. And he says that mentors have to be squared away. So, therefore, it had to be a square coin. And he has the four Ps of being a mentor, which is the pride, performance, persistence, or uh, performance, preparedness, and presence. So, I had to get them right. So, beautiful coin. From John Barrett, fireservicementor.com. So check it out. I love it. It's going into the flag back there. You can see it slowly starting to fill up. At some point, I'll have to add more flags. Um, that's the update on Honor the Fallen Fire Conference. John Barrett, the coin. I'm good. David Mellon, I had a blast this evening. Dude, this is great, man. I had a I had really, really good time. I'm glad we got to connect. Uh, and like I said, it was... It was on my bucket list, but it definitely did not disappoint. Awesome, man. And and you were scheduled to come like way back in December or something, and I had to push it off for what my own – again, I'm really good at scheduling, obviously. So, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you sent me a message. You were like, hey, man, we got to reschedule. I was like, what did I do to piss him off? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Yeah, uh, it's strictly – it's just like I'm, I – I put my fingers in too many pies and then I'm like wondering why I can't find my ass with a hole in the ground. So, uh, uh, so anyway, everybody to the audience, thank you so much for all the questions, the comments, you guys make the scrap. Great. Dave, thank you for giving me your evening. I enjoyed it immensely. Absolutely, man. Thank you. Thanks to everybody that watched and uh, take care, be safe. And we'll talk to you guys soon. I hope the tone stays silent unless it's burning. Everybody stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to the weekly scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.